Hi everyone. The the thousands and hundreds of thousands of people out there. I actually don't. I, I don't think so. But my mom is definitely definitely listening. Um, so hi everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of Words, Images, and Worlds. I'm always excited to have a scholar, a fellow scholar, visit and stop by, and delighted on this episode to be talking with someone that I've collaborated with on a few edited projects and a podcast or two previously, and that is Dr. Stephanie Reed. May I call you Stephanie or Dr. Reed or Dr. Stephanie? Stephanie is absolutely fine. <laughs> All right. Um, I will first mention, as I promised, the shirt that you're wearing. I am married to a person who's currently seeking her doctorate and going through that process. So I'm curious about the research her um, message here. Yeah, this is an intentional shirt war. So I was planning on doing a shout out. So I appreciate you leading with this. Mm -hmm. um, the Scholarly Sewist is a business run by Rika, Dr. Rika Barton, um, who is currently at the University of San Diego. And so if you would like a shirt like this, um, you can just find her on Instagram and the web and let me know if you need her contact details. So the scholarly sewist, Dr. Rika Barton, is the Thank creator you. and designer of this shirt. Well, you know, I have a lot of comics creators on, a lot of authors, and I always put up like, here's the Kickstarter campaign or here's the <laughs> website. So I'll be glad to put the the Instagram details and any web links in the show notes and in a pop up for the video and uh, all of those sort of things. So glad to share about that. And I may be purchasing a copy as uh, a just on time holiday gift as well so yeah. I think that would work there's a there's a whole range and her scholarship is also phenomenal as well so get the shirt and read the scholarship <laughs> now uh, forgive my unawareness um forgive my ignorance what what is the area of scholarship that she looks into um, she works in particular with young multilingual black girls and multimodality too. So uh, um, she has scholarship on picture books and visual texts, and also a lot of work with black multilingual girls. Um, she's quite amazing. So I highly recommend her for a future episode. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. I will reach out. Um, that's the way the snowball sampling works. Love it, love it. All right. Well, well, thank you so much for taking the time to stop and talk with me. I know that it's the busy, probably the busiest part of the semester, not that it ever slows down, but the bottleneck <laughs> of the semester uh, for certain. And so we've, we've talked about another scholar, but I would love to bring our conversation around to your work. So please tell our studio audience out there uh, about your scholarship and the work that you're doing in literacy education. Yeah, for sure. Well, hi, everyone. It's great to be here. Um, my work typically revolves around three different strands. So the first is text analysis, looking in particular at visual and multimodal um, texts such as picture books and graphic novels. Um, I'm working on current projects with Danny Kachorsky and Shulin Yang around that strand, which I'm really excited about. Um, I am a longtime teacher. I taught um, in public schools for 15 years, predominantly at the middle school level. So I always love to be in classrooms and working with teachers. And my research there also focuses on visual and multimodal text students reading them, interpreting them, and also making them as well, and working with teachers to 
find ways to fold multimodal and visual text into existing curriculum and also designing units of study too. So a current project I have is looking at students who authored pandemic personal narratives, um, but <laughs> so in multimodal ways. So they use the New York Times mentor list, which contained written language texts, but also photograph essays and artwork and use those as mental texts for their own writing. So it's been really, I mean, our students are brilliant. So it's been mm -hmm. really incredible to see what students do when they're using kind of their more complete representational repertoires. So there's work coming out from that project soon. And then the third strand of my research, I love exploring how um, my focus on multimodal approaches to literacy ed intersect with other fields. So yeah. one project I'm working on at the moment is with a nonprofit art organization in Missoula, Montana, and looking at how ideas about students expressing themselves um, in ways beyond written and spoken language intersects with the art education world and what's happening there. Fascinating, fascinating work. And I, I believe that was our, you mentioned a couple of links that have connected us, middle grades being one of those. I was a middle grade te middle grades teacher for eight years. And uh, I believe the first chapter that you did that was in an edited project that I worked on was middle grades focused, multimodality, and it was co-authored, right, with Danny Kachorsky. Is that right? Um no, I think that one was solo authored. That was um, solo, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But I've done lots of work with Danny. She is a scholar also very dear to me and mm -hmm. close to my work as well. A longtime partner for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and Xu Ling is also great at uh I think ETSU, I think. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's a it's a great community of multimodal scholarship for sure. Uh, so a qualitative question related to your work, can you, can you tell us about a time that you saw a visual text, either reading, composing, however you want to take that up, uh, really make the difference for a child? It is sort of a case study question. Yeah. And I feel like, um, I have those moments in the research projects I've done, but I also feel like some of the most resonant moments for me came from my time as a classroom teacher. And I feel like there are moments that you experience as a teacher that change you forever. And they are moments that are spontaneous and that you don't expect. So for example, um, and I actually wrote about one of these moments in the introduction to um, an English journal column. I wrote Wendy Williams was the, Dr. Wendy Williams was the editor of that column. Um, I was, I had just done a read aloud off my Kindle in my seventh grade classroom. I taught eighth grade for many years. And then the last two years of my teaching career, I taught seventh grade. So I was doing a read aloud and I read aloud Maggot Moon by Sally Gardner, who's a British author. And the students loved it. And I had one student who certainly, he was brilliant, certainly wouldn't call himself a reader, even though he absolutely was brilliant and insightful and always came up with incredible insights about the stuff we were reading. Um, after this particular read aloud, he came up to me after class. He was like, I want to read it again immediately. Can you get the book for your classroom? And I'd actually never seen the physical copy of the book. And so I ordered 
the physical copy of the book and I didn't even look in it. I gave it straight to my student and said, here, take a look. It's, it's yours until you're finished it. And actually, um, I began my doctoral studies as my parting gift. I, I gifted him. I found him out in his eighth grade classroom and gifted uh -huh. him this book that had meant so much. But he's sitting there in my reading class reading it. And he was like, Miss Reed, you have to see this. And I was like, what, what is it? And he was like, look. And if you flick through the pages of Maggot Moon, in the bottom right-hand corner of the book, there is kind of like a, a stop-motion animation of fly um being born and then kind of coming to life and there isn't that storyline directly in the novel so it's almost like its own little stop motion story in the corner of the book oh, and you it. as the reader have to a figure out that it's there b figure out that if you flick the pages it comes to life uh -huh. and then see, figure out how it connects to the story. And I'll never forget his words. He said, this changes everything. <laughs> and so that it set of images in the corner of the page made him see this book differently, experience it differently, and also even handle the book differently. So it was fascinating to me that the Kindle version could be experienced so differently from the handheld version too. Uh -huh. So that is one moment that just really stuck with me about how visual text can be so interesting and meaningful and transformative too. There's one other moment that I'll reflect on too from a research study. Um, I worked with a middle school classroom, seventh grade again, and one of the students, um, I worked with the teacher to build a multimodal unit around visual text mm -hmm. and one of the quotes she said in some of her interviews um was i feel powerful in language arts and she talked about she read a lot of manga outside of class she was an artist always drawing her backpack did not contain homework but it did mm -hmm. contain art supplies and a sketchbook and she said that this was one of the first time in school where she'd felt seen because this was this was her way of representing and communicating information. She often got told to stop doodling, that this was distracting, that it was stopping her from learning. And she said, I feel powerful in language arts right now. Like this is this is the way I, I communicate. <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah, it, it's amazing how visuals can be empowering and uh, love that idea of the student that unlocks the book in an entirely different way using yes. the images too. Yeah, and spent way more time thinking about it than he would with just a written language reread. Like he was excited mm -hmm. to read the book, but that stop motion changed everything. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking about the teacher who may be sort of on a commute right now or making dinner or doing something uh, while they're listening. And um, I, I know that you share ideas through research, through scholarship and as a teacher educator. So any particular kind of starting point, starting question or idea that you would share with a teacher that might be out there listening? I think the biggest thing I would recommend is Often, as I remember myself as a classroom teacher, I was short on funds for one <laughs> and time for another. And so my recommendation would be to look around you and see what resources just exist in your 
environment? What is the magazine that's lying on the table in the staff lounge and what's on the cover? Um, what is the music video that your students can't stop talking about? Mm -hmm. um, what is the Oscar winning animation that's getting all the acclaim? So I think my first recommend, my main recommendation would just be to, as you think about the text and visual and multimodal text to talk about with your students, just what is around you, because our world is visual and multimodal. And so it doesn't need to be a whole unit. It doesn't need um, to be expensive, just bringing in the artifacts and the text that exist around us for discussion mm -hmm. be fascinating. And I, I love how accessible so many texts are right now, especially if you consider digital texts. Um, students have ready-made access to so many things, so many powerful technological tools that can be used for good. So it's it's a wonderful time in, in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even though some of the literacy conversations are focusing, again, on written language mm -hmm. and the written sign system, um, really kind of thinking about all of the ways in which people communicate and share ideas with each other remains important and essential, especially as we think about the world we live in. Um, our students are creating multimodal texts, um, but they're also consuming them as well. All the time. All the time. <laughs> all yeah. of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the last official question would be resources for listeners, um, and that could be things that you're currently reading, things that you've written, um, web spaces that you frequent, anything along those lines. Yeah, I have I have probably too many for this conversation, <laughs> but I, I definitely, as I thought about this question, I wanted to share, first of all, some texts and resources that were foundational to me moving in this direction. I feel like we're always building on conversations that exist and contributing to a flow. And mm -hmm. so as I think about those texts, um, Frank Serafini's Reading the Visual um, mm -hmm. was critical to the work I do now. Molly Bang's Picture This is an incredible way to think about image analysis um, through the fairy tale of Red Riding Hood and simple shapes and colors. So Molly Bang's Picture This. And then for me, um, a picture book that really made me stop and think about the role of creativity and the arts in education was Sean Tan's The Lost Thing. Mm -hmm. And I, the second I discovered that book, I taught it to every class. Um, and then when the animation, the Oscar winning animation version came out, I taught that too. And so I, I highly recommend The Lost Thing as a platform for thinking about the role of arts in education, the role of creativity um, and uniqueness and originality. I love that. Um, the second thing, oh, and there's one other resource too that was really influential to me earlier on. Um, Alan Teasley and Anne Wilder's book called Real Conversations on mm -hmm. Analyzing Film was also really critical to my early development in terms of thinking about visual and multimodal text. Um, currently, I would encourage you to continue following your professional organizations. So National Council of Teachers of English, the International mm -hmm. Literacy Association, LRA, and all of them have exciting journals 
and books. And I wanted to shout an upcoming book on empathy and comics that I cannot wait to read. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <to> Jason DeHart. <laughs> so I'm really, I'm really looking forward to that. And I think the last set of texts that I'll add is I'm always looking for the work that I do to be in conversation with important and significant thinking around culturally sustaining pedagogies and classrooms. And so Lorena Haman's textured teaching, um, Goldie Muhammad's cultivating genius and unearthing joy, their approaches to curriculum and design, I think really um, have helped me think about how multimodality, visual literacy, and these kind of although they're non-traditional in school spaces, even though they're very prolific elsewhere, I think have helped me think about how they can play a role in school classrooms um, that mm -hmm. are um, welcoming and embracing to all the students we teach. So I highly recommend those resources too. And I'm also really exciting to read Tracy Flores and Maria Franqua's book on teaching cultivating multilingual writers too. And so I think that all of these new ideas and curriculum frameworks um, provide important intersections for, for the thinking and the work that I've done. So I love learning from all of my amazing colleagues in the field of literacy, Ed. Yeah, yeah, I, I love so much about what you just said. Um, Frank Serafini and that book by Teasley and Wilder that you mentioned, those were things that I cited in my dissertation. And I'm also at the end of a teaching semester right now. My students come back and take finals after the winter break, but I'm, you know, kind of closing in on those last days. And just thinking about what you've said about, um, culturally responsive pedagogy and really thinking about what we do. If there are teachers out there that are kind of in that space that, that I kind of find myself in often of, I've done this, I've done this a few times. How do I improve on this? Because I'm always in that process of trying to improve. I, I never feel like I arrive. Um, really thinking through those layers of pedagogy is so valuable and it's so reflective. And so I, I, I'm, excited to be thinking about the new semester in that way as well. Yeah, I don't think we go into teaching to be perfectionist. <laughs> no. Like I truly believe I've never taught a perfect lesson designed a perfect unit. And I think <laughs> it's the real beauty of the profession we're into. We're always growing and learning um, ourselves too. And I think yeah. that ultimately all work in multimodality and visual literacy um, connects back to kind of um, Kate Cowan and Gunther Kress refer to it as a democratic enterprise mm -hmm. um, that honors just all students, their brilliance and how they express themselves, which links back very, or links to very clearly the work of Goldie Muhammad, um, Lorena Haman, and just all of these amazing scholars. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When you think you figured it out, you have a new group of students and you get to figure it out again and they shape it with you. So it's a, it's a wonderful sort of journey. Um, we do have a few extra minutes. If you'd like to shout out, I know you have several titles behind you. Um, any particular <laughs> titles that you're currently engaged in? And I'll, I'll tell you while you're kind of looking and thinking, uh, I have been presently, I'm excited about this book called Youth Group that's coming out 
in the spring, which is apparently kind of a, a satire of religious youth groups. And they, they become exorcists. And so I'm really curious about this. Um, and I'm also been I've been reading some of the like major mainstream Marvel kind of things as well, which is not something that I always get into, but I've uh, been visiting some of the, the major tentpole characters recently and some of the ways that authors are kind of shaping and reshaping because a lot of what's happening in mainstream comics seems to be going through kind of a time of change. I think both DC and Marvel are introducing new books and closing out old ones and things like that. So um, that's a little bit of what is on my reading table and not to spring a question on you, but I thought <laughs> you, you have so many wonderful books there. I see the oh artist. I the really, poet X. <laughs> I know that um, I'll like move my chair to the side so you can get a look. Um, oh, yeah. I'll say that my absolute favorite picture book, um, I was at NCTE, their annual conference just recently. Mm -hmm. And so if you haven't read listeners and viewers, um, Jacqueline Woodson's The Day You Begin, it is literally my favorite picture book of all time. And I don't know that it will ever be unseated. <laughs> <laughs> so I recommend that. Um, but then you pointed out The Artivist by Nicholas Smith. I think um, that is just an incredible and beautiful book. And then we, um, I presented with Rika Baden at NCTE and our presentation was grounded in teaching as a world building and world changing practice. And we used um, Oliver Jeffers what we'll build as this notion of teaching as a world building opportunity and right. the artivist as a world changing opportunity. And so those two books, I absolutely love as well. Um, the lost thing is never far from my shelf. Mm -hmm. either, so that is right there. <laughs> love um, and then border crossings just recently won an award at NCTE too. So I haven't read it yet, but that is next up. So you and I have just missed each other in physical space because I was also at NCT. <laughs> you were? How did we miss each other? Well, you know, it's it's a large conference. It's a large <laughs> conference. And I was only there briefly. Uh, okay. I sort of swung by to do a presentation on Saturday Saturday morning right before Tom Hanks. Um, so that, that was, yeah, it was a busy, busy season. <laughs> so you were the opening act to Tom Hanks. That's pretty special. <laughs> I mean, you know. Separate location, separate time, but sure, I, I, I'm putting that on my resume right now. Yeah, <laughs> open for Tom Hanks. The crowd loved it. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, well, Stephanie, it's always a delight to talk with you. I look forward to collaborating on other works. I appreciate the shout out to uh, the authors and scholars that you've shared with us, and uh, glad to talk with you anytime. Anytime. Absolutely, absolutely, and I feel like I. I want to just conclude by saying I shouted out a few, um, but mm -hmm. if you read the journals and stay updated, there are so there is so much exciting scholarship happening and being presented. So keep following, um, keep following your professional organizations and the journals and their blogs as well too. Mm -hmm. NCTE has an amazing blog. Yeah, they do, and I was going to mention NCTE uh, in particular because. Uh, I was talking with Manica Brooks and the 
the cost of an NCTE membership, NCTE, is not that much. And obviously, they're not paying me to say this, but um, you can get access to their journals for a relatively low price. It, it might be online access, or you might be able to get one in the mail, but it's well worth the cost of admission to keep up with some things. It really is. And I appreciate that they honor scholarship and mm -hmm. from researchers, from teachers that are practicing in the field, that expertise can never be undervalued um, and students as well. And so I think the final shout out I would want to give is to all the students that I've worked with, um, both in my capacity as a teacher and researcher, um, but to all the students that we all work with. I think that um, my favorite thing about being in education is the students with whom we work. And I'm just mm -hmm. always stunned by how fabulous they are. Oh, yeah. And the conversation lives on at the end of the class as well. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> well, well, thank you again and uh, delighted to be in touch. Sounds great, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. My